Listener supported. WNYC Studios. We all grew up, attended public schools here. Our families are here. And to have uh, entities to come in and uh, destroy, essentially destroy our communities is sickening. This neighborhood has, you know, just a long history of disinvestment. Now that we're seeing investment coming in, we want to be able to take advantage of those investments, right? We want a home court advantage. To me, gentrification is a polite word for white people coming in. And unfortunately, that's just how property values increase. People pull up and say, why did you buy here? This is a black neighborhood. You're not black. You know, and it's sort of like, okay, let's talk about that. I hear where you're coming from, and this is who we are. This is why we're here. I don't want to live in an all-black neighborhood. I don't want to live in an all-white or all-Spanish. I want a rainbow culture of people bring everybody in here. Los Angeles is changing at a very fast rate, and that rate is almost blindsiding some of the African-American communities that have been here for an extremely long time. There goes the neighborhood. There goes the neighborhood. There goes the neighborhood. Recently, KCRW reporter Anna Scott interviewed a guy who lends money to real estate investors. His name is Jerry Ducott. She asked him for his advice on L.A.'s real estate market. Here's what he said. You should be buying in Inglewood. I was surprised at first. Certain L.A. neighborhoods come up over and over again in conversations about gentrification. Highland Park, Echo Park, Silver Lake, those are the places you find the $7 lattes and the expensive new condos. Those neighborhoods all fit a kind of L.A. gentrification paradigm. A Latino community on L.A.'s east side sees large numbers of white people move in. Inglewood, however, doesn't fit that mold. For a long time, it was a largely black city, and it doesn't have many white people. At least not yet. I'm Saul Gonzalez, and this is There Goes the Neighborhood L.A. And today, we're going to Inglewood. Now, if you're a Lakers fan of a certain era... Magic Johnson is entering the game. ...or watch the series Insecure on HBO... spot looks so much bigger than it felt. I know. It's going to make some young white couple really happy someday. ...or listen to music... Inglewood. You know Inglewood. Like many black communities, it's sometimes gotten a bad rap from pop culture. Let me just play you this scene from the 1991 movie Grand Canyon. Kevin Klein's car breaks down at night in Inglewood after a Lakers game. Yeah, I need road service for, um, I don't know, let's say Inglewood. The camera pans menacingly across a liquor store. Then, a car full of young black men blaring N.W.A. pulls up. Mayday, mayday, we're going down. Why don't you get out of the car? After that movie came out, Inglewood officials wrote an open letter to Hollywood. They called Grand Canyon an assassination of an entire municipality's character. Now, it's not that Hollywood completely invented Inglewood's problems. For decades, it saw high crime and failing schools. But it's also a longtime bastion of L.A.'s black middle class. More than a third of the city's residents own their homes. I grew up right across the Inglewood border in South Central. And then actually bought a house here myself in 2004. So I've never really left 
Erin Aubrey Kaplan has been writing about Inglewood for more than 20 years, including as a columnist for the Los Angeles Times. She lives in a ranch-style home on a quiet suburban street in Inglewood. People sit out on their porches and talk, and it's kind of this transport of Southern culture that still is around. It's not upper middle class. It's working to middle class, but, but people aren't just struggling to survive. There's that tension of being in poverty, and I know that too. So there's kind of this space to talk and breathe and talk about racial struggle, but also talk about other things, like how's your lawn doing? And so it's that kind of space that brings together a lot of different elements of the black experience, the middle class, the working class, the historical past. And it doesn't exist certainly nowhere else in LA or LA County. Right now, Inglewood is in the crosshairs of developers, speculators, and moneylenders like Jerry Ducott. Inglewood is uh, because of its geographical location uh, and all the activity taking place in Inglewood is a great opportunity. In two years, a new light rail line is expected to open, connecting the city to the airport and downtown L.A. The Forum, where the Lakers used to play, has been revamped into a premier concert venue. And the biggest thing, an NFL stadium, the most expensive one ever built, will be home to both the L.A. Rams and the Chargers. It's under construction on what used to be the Hollywood Park racetrack. And it's more than a stadium. It's part of what's supposed to become a $3 billion city within a city. It'll have thousands of new housing units, a hotel, stores, restaurants, a theater with 6,000 seats, four parks. Two lakes. And I like to say in a partridge in a pear tree. That's Englewood Mayor James Butts. This is going to be a development that's going to be three times the size of Century City, three and a half times the size of Disneyland, and twice as big as Vatican City for perspective. He says Inglewood is a city on the rise. In the past six years, it's recovered from being on the verge of bankruptcy, and crime has fallen steadily. And there are Inglewood residents who are profiting from the changes. Ready, set, go. Oh, yeah, that time. Every Sunday, a group of local men meet at the Inglewood Forum's huge parking lot to race small radio-controlled cars. Crap, those are fast. Yeah. How fast do they go? Oh, we've topped these cars out just right in here, over 80. It's here that I meet Leroy Clavin. He's a painter and a handyman. And as we talk, he points in the direction of the future NFL stadium. Actually, I'm liking it. I'm liking it. And I've been making money off of it. Yeah, I'm in the construction, so a lot of people are refurbishing their, their properties near this stadium. And a lot of people are coming in buying the dirt around this stadium. And I have been making a lot of money in the last year and a half <laughs> off of this. I ain't going to lie. I, I've done like nine projects over here. So for you, it's good. Let's I, bring the boom yeah, on bring if it, there's a boom. Bring it on. Bring it on. It's, it's actually it's bringing money back into the area. What's happening in Inglewood, though, isn't just about a stadium or a light rail line. Remember Jerry Ducott, the moneylender, talking about its geographic location? It's about much larger economic forces, squeezing L.A.'s west side housing market and pushing demand east. Inglewood's a short drive from Silicon Beach, where hundreds of tech companies have opened offices along the coast. We're talking Google, Facebook, Snapchat, YouTube, and Yahoo. They've created thousands of high-paying jobs. If you want to buy a house in that area, be prepared to spend. In Venice, the median home value is upwards of $1.5 million. And if you're looking to rent, good luck finding anything affordable. Hi, how are you? But if you purchase a house in Inglewood, it costs a lot less. 
So if I'm a young tech worker, maybe I've just moved to LA, yeah. you would you would say great house to buy. Yeah, I mean, this is a cute little house. The neighborhood has a lot of people who've lived here a long time. Uh, somebody on the street said that they've lived here for 10 years and they're a newbie. Yeah. That's real estate agent Lucy Williams, who I meet at an open house for an 800-square-foot Inglewood cottage. Its list price? $400,000. And I could be in Silicon Beach in how many minutes from here? Uh, less than 15, I would say. Depends on traffic, but yeah. Like everything in LA, depends yeah. on traffic. <laughs> Why is Inglewood still so cheap? The answer has to do with history and race. I asked Erin Aubrey Kaplan, who you heard from earlier, why she thinks LA's Latino neighborhoods gentrified first, before its neighborhoods with large black populations. I think people are less frightened of Latinos. Black people give everyone pause, particularly poor black people. No one wants to live next door to a poor black person. Um, They just don't. Black people are scary to most Americans. I'll be honest. They are foreboding. They're forbidden. They, um, their laws specifically written to keep them out of society. Those laws Aaron just mentioned, well, they were actually racial covenants, explicit language and property deeds that prevented homes from being sold to African-Americans and other minorities. It was also really common for banks not to provide mortgages to people of color. Go back more than 50 years, and those practices helped to keep Inglewood largely white. You couldn't go to Inglewood, because we had the post office right there at 83rd and Western, and you couldn't cross Van Ness. See, that was a line. You cross Van Ness, that was Inglewood. George Smith, who's black and in his 70s, remembers those days. This side of Van Ness was L.A., and you couldn't go over there to even buy a house. If you went over there, what are you doing over here? You don't live here, you know, if you're going over to a movie or shop. The police would stop you. What are you doing over here, you know? Well, I'm just driving through. Well, keep, keep going then. I thought you was in Mississippi or someplace. Then there's this guy who remembers the old days very clearly, right down to the fight song for Inglewood High. Cheer, cheer, cheer for Inglewood. Inglewood, we're for you. Here for you to cheer. That's my father-in-law, Jack Frost. Yep, Jack Frost is actually his name. He's a white guy who grew up in Inglewood in the 1930s and 40s. And he describes it as a pretty idyllic place then, except... Inglewood was, wasn't a very nice place in a way, in that it was quite racially uh, segregated, I guess is the word I want to use. Like blacks weren't welcome. Right. I went to high school there and graduated in 1947. And at that point in time, we had no black people in the uh, school. Six days of rioting in a Negro section of Los Angeles left behind scenes reminiscent of war-torn cities. That changed after the Watts riots in 1965 and the resulting white flight across L.A. from the city to the suburbs. Firemen were harassed by snipers and brick-throwing hoodlums as they attempted to control the fires, many of which were left to burn themselves out. Real estate agents also helped speed along racial change. Historian Wade Graham. The way it worked was if you could take advantage of somebody's situation and get them to sell to a black family, you could then go door to door and tell the white homeowners that their property values were going to plummet and they needed to get out fast before it got even worse. And you could grab those houses at a discount and then sell them at an enormous profit to African-Americans who were desperate for somewhere to live. Erin Aubrey Kaplan knows people on her street who were witnesses to that change. I have a neighbor around the corner She moved here in 1967 when Inglewood was largely white. 
And her neighbor, who's a white guy, would come out every morning on his porch and say to her, what are you doing here? And by the end of the summer, the entire block had changed and just became all black. And she laughs about that story, but I, I think it's a painful story. What does that feel like to move somewhere to start to achieve this dream of integration? And then everybody leaves. So now we are in 2017, faced with the prospect of white people coming back. On the one hand, we know property values go up. On the other hand, we know this can't work because history has shown it can't work and it won't work. When we come back, can Inglewood gentrify without sacrificing its black community? So, is gentrification a zero-sum game in Inglewood? If white people start buying in the community, does that inevitably mean black people get pushed out? Hi, Henry. Hey. How are you? Good. Again, here's Anna Scott. Nice to meet you. Meet Henry Manicherry. Henry is a real estate investor. He raises a lot of money from Hollywood executives. His company is called Universe Holdings. It's sort of a vision my father had that one day we have properties all over the universe. Thinking big. Henry came to L.A. from Iran when he was 15 in 1978. He has a simple formula. Buy apartment buildings, renovate, raise rents. Then hold on to the properties for a long time to bring in a steady cash flow for investors. We generally don't like to sell property. We like to buy property. So Henry and his team are like gentrification bloodhounds, and they've followed the scent to Inglewood. We saw rents back in 2014 that were 70, 80 cents a foot. We hadn't seen that anywhere in L.A. for years. I'm like, you know, what's going on over here? This is like the rents of 20, 25 years ago. So Inglewood looks like a great buy. In the past two and a half years, Universe Holdings has scooped up seven apartment buildings in Inglewood. Would it ever become the West Side? Who knows? Probably not, because it's just behind the times. But we look at this as a growth stock. We think there's a lot of room to grow, because we're starting at the ground level. You know, one of the reasons Inglewood has been undervalued is because it's been a largely black neighborhood for many years. And as black neighborhoods gentrify, often there's a racial change and they become whiter often. I guess I wonder just what you think about that and how you think about your role in gentrification. You know, when people who've been living in this community for the past 30 years, 40 years, see the change, it's going to create a lot of inspiration. And that invites more people to come in. And I think it's nice that their area gentrifies because people learn to coexist amongst other racial types and it could create a very nice, cohesive community. But what about the nice, cohesive community that already exists? I asked Henry if the area can gentrify and stay largely African-American. He kind of sidestepped race and said, hey, L.A. is booming. We have all these new industries now, like the tech sector. There's more prosperity And that creates winners and losers. If people can't elevate themselves economically by working harder and getting better jobs, uh, there's going to be no choice for them but to move to the less affluent neighborhoods. Henry has faith in the market. But the market is not an even playing field. One study published last year by UCLA and Duke University found that the median wealth of white households in Los Angeles is 89 times what it is for black households. Some people in Inglewood already feel the financial pressure of guys like Henry coming in. 
renters. Unlike the city of LA, Inglewood doesn't have rent control. We went to one of Henry's properties, a two-story apartment complex. It's built around a square central courtyard. A few kids were playing there. I asked if any of their parents were home. And a few minutes later, a guy, about 50 years old, came down to the courtyard. He asked to go by the nickname High C. He's afraid using his real name might get him in trouble with Henry, his landlord. Yes, High C says his rent's been increasing. It started going up last year around November or December. The rent went from 1325 to 1875. That's a 40% increase. High C shares a two-bedroom with his girlfriend, his daughter, and two grandchildren. Everybody else as a minority is basically being pushed out. That's what's happening right now. So you see that happening, or you think you see that happening? No, it's happening. If you go probably three miles north, what they used to call the jungles in Baldwin Hills down there, it used to be like it had a bad name as far as saying that it was like bad because there's a lot of gang and drugs and everything else around there. But now you have a lot of whites and Asians that moved in there. And you would actually see them late at night or early in the morning walking their dogs through these supposed to be in bad neighborhoods and not to be like saying a stereotypical like statement, but once you really start seeing white people walking with dogs out, there it is right there. Matter of fact, it's a couple of white families that moved in here already. And then they build in a rail system on Crenshaw. So if you look at everything together, it's, it's really not for us. I guess the first cupcake shop goes up, it'll be official. And guess what Erin told me? Oh, you know, there's a new cupcake shop. We have a cupcake shop now right around the corner from me. I figure that's a good sign, right? I told High C what Erin said. There it is. It's official. Erin is a homeowner. If Inglewood property values go up, she could make a lot of money. Her fear isn't about being priced out. It's about the future of Inglewood's Black community. And not just because of this new talk about gentrification. In 1990, Inglewood was 50% Black and 38% Latino. Since then, those numbers have flipped. Inglewood, even though it's it's a concentration of Black people, is heavily Latino. So the new people who moved on this block have been Latino. And that, quote-unquote, displacement has been going on for quite some time. I don't mean to sound like a hostile takeover, but it's been changing anyway. So that you add that to the uh, gentrification prospect, and it's very nerve-wracking for a lot of black people all over L.A. I got an email from my neighborhood listserv. Some, you know, someone just sent out a message, don't sell your house, don't sell your house, stay put. Erin has lived in other parts of L.A., but she says they felt anonymous to her. Living in a largely black neighborhood is something she treasures. I really know everyone. And we all talk a similar language. We have similar interests. And that's community. The mayor of Inglewood, James Butts, is familiar with this sentiment. But he says the city's open to everyone. People that can afford to buy a house that someone else wants to sell should be allowed to move here. And to have any consideration that that person is white, that's just as big a non-starter as it was in 1960 when the current residents cared if that person that could afford to buy a house that someone wanted to sell was black. Of course, what do you expect the mayor to say? Butts has made it his job to bring new investment and money to the city. 
Erin wants to see new investment, too. She'd love to have more sit-down restaurants, a new grocery store. But she says history doesn't show us a good track record of Black communities getting those things and staying Black. Why can't that happen? It happens in other neighborhoods. Other populations expect certain amenities when they live there. It's kind of, you know, it's the American sense of entitlement, I guess. And we've never been able to share in that. And that's real equality. When you move somewhere and Trader Joe's comes to you, I call it retail justice. It's not the same as racial justice, but we've kind of substituted it in our mind. If we could just get that Trader Joe's, that's equality. But the possibility of getting that Trader Joe's now feels bittersweet. People have been asking for decades for certain things, improvements, better this, better that. And somehow it only happens when this gentrification process starts. And until that happens, nothing happens. In the parking lot of the Forum, Leroy, the handyman who races those radio-controlled cars, well, he has mixed feelings, too, even as Inglewood's changes help him. Now, it's going to price the poor people out. You know, you got to give and take somewhere. It's going to price them out. So when you're working on your projects here and you're refurbishing homes and remodeling yeah, no, places, are, are you playing your own little small part, do you think, in gentrification, honestly? Uh, yeah, and, and I do feel that. But what can I do? I mean, I have a large family to feed myself, so. And African-Americans beyond the city limits of Inglewood have anxieties, too, about their future because of gentrification and changing demographics. Black residents now make up about 9% of the city of L.A.'s population, or nearly half of what it was compared to 1980. There are very few majority black neighborhoods left in L.A. There also is an anxiety about kind of a disappearance of black folks in the city. That's Regina Freer, a professor of politics and urban studies at Occidental College. For years, Regina's neighborhood, Lamert Park, has been a crossroads of black L.A. life, with African-American-owned businesses and cultural institutions. Is the cultural hub of Lamert going to include black people as residents and kind of stakeholders in the wealth that's generated, or are they merely going to be the performers of black culture and for someone else. Looking to the future, Regina says she totally understands that change is inevitable in Los Angeles. She just hopes there's a strong and large enough African-American population here to help shape those changes. Listeners, we really want to hear your experiences about change in L.A. or your own city. And do you have a personal experience with this issue in Inglewood or another traditionally African-American community? Please check out There Goes the Neighborhood's Facebook page and leave us a comment. We'd love to use your feedback on our next episode. And check out kcrw.com slash there goes the neighborhood. On the next show, house flippers have moved from the suburbs to L.A.'s inner city neighborhoods. I want to buy every property for a dollar. <laughs> It's ideal. That's the ideal. That's ideal. If it makes dollars, it makes sense. You can also find There Goes the Neighborhood LA on Apple Podcasts. So subscribe and tell your friends to subscribe and please leave a review. There Goes the Neighborhood's reporter is Anna Scott. Our producer is Miguel Contreras. Celeste Wesson is our editor. Sonia Geis is our managing editor. 
Ray Guarna and J.C. Swadek are our recording engineers. At WNYC Studios, our producer is Paige Cowett, our executive producer is Karen Frillman, and Casey Means is our technical director. Our composer is Hannes Brown, with additional music by Terrence Blanchard. I'm Saul Gonzalez. This series is supported by the Conrad and Hilton Foundation. Thanks for listening. We gotta educate ourselves. We can't be stale and stuck back in the past and think that this is all supposed to be one way. We all have to learn this. This is how we learn. This is how whites learn blacks and blacks learn whites. This is how we learn to uh, get along with each other and, and realize that you know we all come from the same place. We breathe the same air and nothing in my home is gonna affect you and your home. You live in yours, I live in mine. When I look out the window of my house, all I wanna see is your neighbors and your area looking nice. I'll do my part so when you look out your window, so when your white friends come to your black or the mixed neighborhood and they say, well, who lives in that house? I want to make sure that when they look across the street, I'm representing my house from your perspective so we can all say this is a beautiful neighborhood.